All right, and that said, we're gonna take it from the top. <sighs> yeah. Top is long ways away from the bottom. But we're gonna take it from the top anyhow. All right, we're talking about Israel, the son of Elohim. This is what we're all ascribing to be, sons and daughters of Elohim, amen? You know, these are the ones that Yah wants. He wants his children. Whether they're native-born children or they're becoming Israel or became Israel. Don't have to be native-born. He has room for you too. You know, but the thing is, is once you do get in, you know, you will be welcomed to Israel. But don't boast or become proud because Yah hates pride and you can't be at risk of losing your citizenship. So just because you make it in and become an Israelite doesn't mean you get to forever remain an Israelite. You know, you have to live as an Israelite. You know, and if you do so, eventually you'll get led into Mitzrayim. That is, you know, into the letter of the word. And you will begin to learn of the letter of the word. You become knowledgeable about the world's view of the word and that's all well and good you know but at some point you'll have to make your exodus and that is just a picture of you no longer just learning about the word but you're actually applying it to your lives you know and that's what gets you out of this right and into your wilderness experience here in the wilderness You'll find yourself tested and tried again and again um, by Yah. But your tests and trials aren't always the same. Sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're spiritual. 1 Corinthians 15, 46 teaches us. It says the spiritual, however, was not first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. And so it was. Even going through your wilderness experience, you'll be tested naturally first and spiritually, you know, second. You know, speaking about Israel and the example that's given us via scriptures, specifically um, the Exodus, you know, we see them coming into physical testing and trials, you know. Um, and one of them was hunger, physical hunger in which Yah provided manna from heaven. It was a physical food, you know, and they ate it every day. He also provided them with another test or trial, where um, physical test or trial, whereby you know he tested and tried them with thirst, you know, and he provided physical water from a physical rock, you know. They had a physical battle with Amalek, whereby they learned how um, Yah taught their hands. Their, their fingers to do war, their hands to do war, you know, um, with the battle of Amalek, Amalek speaking to the valley dwellers, speaking to those who attack you when you're down, you know, just never forget this lesson because this teaches you how to overcome, you know, you have to do as Moshe did, as Yah instructed Moshe, you know, even as you are one that's drawn out of the water into the, the wilderness experience, you too will have to find yourself sitting and resting on the rock, with your hands held high, giving praise to the Most High, holding up 
everything that you need, everything that you want, which is in, in incorporated into the depiction of the ride of Elohim. Speaks to your support, speaks to your provision, speaks to your sustenance. You know, you lift it all up to Yah. And when your arms get tired of praising them, you get some help. You get you a light bringer to bring light to your situation or circumstance. You get you a hurt to hold up your other end, your other arm, you know, to show you what righteousness looked like in that situation and circumstance. And you stay there with your hands held high, resting on that rock until you are totally victorious over your enemies. Amen? Yeah. You know, then there were some spiritual tests and trials that came about as well. And one of them was a type of spiritual manner which was depicted through the leadership that was orchestrated through the wise counsel of Yethro, which was Moshe's father-in-law. You know, hereby we see the birthing and beginning of the rabbinic oral law, you know, being put in place. You know, they also were given some spiritual water you know, so that was their spiritual manner, but they was also given some spiritual water. And this that spiritual um, water was even the angel that was sent before them to lead them into the promised land. But before getting there, they would have to make a stop at Mount Sinai, whereby they would receive a proposition of Elohim. A proposition to covenant with him and officially become his. And he officially become their heir. You know, he gave them some terms and conditions to this covenant, you know, which uh, is reference to his commandments. Now, when it comes to his commandments, you know, if you ask any ancient Israelite or any modern Yahudim or Jew, they would tell you that there's two parts to it. You know, it's called his Torah, but there's a written Torah and an oral Torah. The written Torah speaks to the written word, and the oral Torah speaks to that which was passed down via the, the rabbis and the elders. You know, and to this covenant, Israel said, All that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do. Now, we're to learn a lesson from, from, from them because we don't want to follow ex exactly in their footsteps because they made a lot of errors along the way and we don't want to repeat those errors we're supposed to be wiser for their errors because we're supposed to learn from their errors amen you know so once we become elohim's covenant nation you know we're supposed to be a little wiser in the sense that we have the examples of our predecessors you know and we also need to come to the realization that we need to serve Elohim according to his appearing, according to his command and his instructions, you know, because that's what his covenant is all about. His covenant has terms and conditions, and, and those terms and conditions are his commands and his instructions. And if we don't covenant with God, in conjunction with his commands and his instructions, then we will break said covenant and we will become Yah's enemy instead of his children. 
Selah. Now, for those of us who don't break it, Yah instructs us, some of those instructions, is to make him a dwelling place. To make Yah a dwelling place, a tabernacle. Yah wants to dwell not just with us, but within us. And so he asked that we make him a dwelling place. And so when you come out of Mitzrayim and you're in your wilderness experience, at some point you should be working on making him a dwelling place. You know, he instructs us on how to make him an ark, an ark of the covenant. The ark in which to place his terms and conditions. You know, and anatomically, this ark spoke to our minds. You know, he instructs us on how to make a table of showbread. And this table of showbread anatomically sp speaks to our hearts. Um, and he instructs us on how to make a menorah. And anatomically, this menorah speaks to our lungs. And it also speaks to our assemblies and the Ruach Kadesh that is over our assemblies. He instructs us on how to make a brazen labor, which anatomically, you know, speaks to our GM, um, GI tract, you know, our gastrointestinal tract. And then he instructs us on how to make the court of the tabernacle which anatomically speaks to our diaphragm. So if you have eyes to see, you can see that Yah is actually building a man in the wilderness. This is his, this is his, his, uh, his goal is to build or have us build, I should say, his son in the wilderness. You know, and so he instructs us on how we're to gather oil for the menorah and how we're to make priestly garments uh, in which there are six pieces, the turban and the crown are one, and there are no pants. So, you know, but this was the best illustration I could find. So, and then he instructs us on how to consecrate the priest, you know, of the tabernacle. He then further instructs us to make the golden altar of incense, which anatomically speaks to our thymus gland, and instructs us on to take a census tax and to make a bronze or brazen um, labor whereby we would wash in. He also instructs us on a recipe for anointing oil, the which we're to anoint all the furniture with. It's not for people. It's for the tabernacle and its furniture. And then, oh, well, yeah, it's the furniture that you're going to be anointing. And then he, not only with these instructions, he also gives, you know, some of us, gifts of wisdom and skill, you know, and take ordinary folks and make them extraordinary folks that they might be of his service and to help make this tabernacle. 
then he instructs us in the Sabbath day and, and teaches us that it is to be a sign between us and him, that it is to be a sign of our covenant with him. And so we to understand that and keep that. We're to also understand the golden calf and how Israel messed up concerning it and not to repeat this error. Amen. You know, this was this was huge, and we don't we don't want to do that. Because that sin, you know, divided us and Elohim. You know, where it divided Israel and Elohim at that time. And so we don't want to repeat that mistake and be divided from Elohim because sin separates Yah's people from him. And so, you know, we want to ever be with Yah's people, so we don't want to make those kind of errors. Because this led to his tent of meeting being taken out from the midst of his people and set over afar off. And so this was the equivalent of his presence being taken from the midst of his son or his son and being placed afar off. Can you see that? And so we don't never want his presence to be too far from us. You know, so it was taken from within the midst of Israel and put off to the side. And so Moshe had to go over to it and as Yah's people watched. You know, and so, you know, uh, you can liken this to, to maybe, you know, you being in a backslidden state, you know, or prior to you even... Um, Erecting Yah's tabernacle, you have to go off to the side. You have to go and seek Yah's presence. Now, let me have my first reader read Exodus 35, 4 through 10, please. Uh, who has the mic? And Moshe spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which Yahuwah commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto Yahuwah, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of Yahuwah, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skins, and chittim wood, and oil for the light, and spices for anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, and onyx stones, and stones to be set for the ephod, and for the breastplate. And every wise-hearted among you shall come, and make all that Yahuwah hath commanded. Hallelujah. So here, by we see verse 5 says, Take ye from among you an offering unto Yahuwah, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. So now it's it's time that they, you know, they, they received the instructions on what to do. Now it's time for them to actually put those instructions, you know, into action. It's time for the application. Amen? You know, and so, now, the application actually takes a group effort. You know, and that's what I want to point out. You know, um, 
Israel is, is now commanded to begin the construction of, uh, of Yah's tabernacle that he instructed them to make. But it takes a group effort. You know, but take note of what they didn't do. They didn't go by from tent to tent and make them give. Can you see that? They didn't compel them to give. They didn't beg them to give. They just simply asked them to give. And they took an offering only from those who had a willing heart to bring it. You know. And so this is this is what they did. You know, and everyone didn't necessarily bring money or gold or or spices or oil. Some people brought their talents and their labor. And that's what verse 10 is speaking to. The wise hearted, you know, that were able to make the things that Yah commanded. So sometimes, you know, your offering can even be the wisdom Yah is giving you on how to do something. Amen? Amen. Let me have my uh, next reader read Exodus 36, 1 through 7. Then Ron, Bezaliel, and Aholiab, and every wise-hearted man in whom Yahuwah put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to all that Yahuwah had commanded. And Moshe called Bezaliel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart Yahuwah had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. And they received of Moshe all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. And all the wise men that brought all the work of the sanctuary came every man from his work, which they made. And they spake unto Moshe, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work, which Yahuwah commanded us to make. And Moshe gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Hallelujah. So, you know, I want to point out a few things. You know, first of all, that the labor was likened to the materials. It was given via a willing heart. Even as verse 2 says, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do. You know, so it was it was those whom Yah stirred up to do it. You know, it was those who were willing and who wanted to. You know. And take note of the result of this recipe. Because the result of the recipe um is is actually verses six and seven. Says that Moshe gave commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. They had to restrain the people from bringing. Mm -hmm. 
for the stuff that they had was sufficient for the works to make it and too much they had more than enough you know so this teaches us that Yah's people Yah's people when they follow the stirring of their hearts that Yah places upon them and they follow their willingness to do for Yah whether it be in the form of labor or materials Yah's house will have more than enough Amen They have so much that you have to restrain the people from doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, y'all's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So if the recipe worked back then, it'll work today too, right? Yes. Yahoo never changes. So if it worked then, it'll work now. So. Yah has given his people everything they need. All they have to do is work together and follow what Yah puts on their hearts. Amen? You know, then we come to Exodus 40, 1 and 2, and Exodus 40, 16 and 17. My next reader, please. And Yahuwah spake unto Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month shalt thou set up the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Thus did Moses according to all that Yahuwah commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. Hallelujah. Okay, so hereby we learned that in the beginning of the year, we're to erect the tabernacle to Yahuwah our Elohim. Now this is this is noteworthy. This is noteworthy, you know, because you know at the start of the year, you know we're to erect Yah tabernacle, so that Yah can dwell within the midst of us throughout the year. Amen. Amen. You know, so this is very noteworthy indeed, you know, because we're going to have a new year coming up. Mm -hmm. Maybe you need to start collecting material and start putting y'all's instructions into play. So that ye might be ready to erect him a tabernacle. And for all my newbies, you know, those who recently came into, into the body of Yah, take note that it came to pass in the first month in the second year on the first day of the month. 
that they erected a tabernacle. So essentially, Yah gave them one year from the time of coming out of Mitzrayim. He gave them one year from the time of starting to apply his word to their lives to make him a tabernacle. Can you see that? It continues on in verses 18 and 19. It says, And Moshe reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above upon it as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. You know, so it says he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle. And I know that may get a bit confusing because the tabernacle is a tent. Right? You know, um, but he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above it. So in other words, you know, there is a tent that goes over the tabernacle. There's a covering that goes over the tabernacle. You follow me? You know, uh, Exodus 26, verse 7, Yah gave the instructions on how, how to make this, this tent that goes over the tabernacle. Exodus 26, verse 7 says, And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Now, so, now we learned that the outer covering of the tabernacle is as goat's hair. It's made of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Why goat's hair? Hmm. It's rough. Well, actually, they use the finer parts of it. Hmm. You know, um, but essentially, it was considered to um, be waterproof for one. You know, and it was very, very resilient. You know, so it acted as a protector, a covering, if you would. Mm -hmm. But what does goats represent spiritually? Sin. credit for that <laughs> you know yes it's associated with sin but and you get partial credit for that too um, of course a goat is flesh you know like it's a goat you know you eat it <laughs> you know um, well let's go to the parable of the sheep and the goats you know that are that are Wonderful Moray Yahushua, you know, um, taught us. You know, so within the parable of the sheep and the goats, Yahshua says he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. He says the sheep will be blessed, but the goats will be cursed. He says the sheep will be blessed because they gave him food, they gave him drink, they took him in, they clothed him, they visited him. 
But cursed to be the goats because they gave them no food, they gave them no drink, they took them not in, they clothed them not, they visited them not. They depict the wicked. So what is the picture that's being painted here? Say again. They're away from yeah, the the cursed way. They're on the outer outer outermost parts. Well, yeah, you know, but they they still make up the a part of the tabernacle, which is in the most inner part of Israel, and the most holy part of Israel. Hmm. Does it represent the flesh part? The flesh. The outer man. It does represent the flesh um, and, um, in a sense, you know, uh, you know, as, as far as characteristically, you know, you know, so the sheep represents the who? All right, so the ghost represents the who? The wicked. Yes, the unrighteous, the wicked. You know, so what is the picture that's being depicted? What is the picture that's being painted here? Well, maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. The wicked are in the tabernacle. They're on the outside? Yeah, but no. Like... The wicked can't be a part of God's tabernacle. You know, that, that, that just does not work out. You know, because Yah is, he's all light and no darkness is within him, right? And we know the wicked is darkness, right? You know, so, you know, yeah, you, you, you're starting to see the picture. Maybe this will help. You know, Exodus 35, 26, it tells us who made this, out, this, this outer tent. It says, and all the women whose heart stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. Mm. See, and this is this is what that that outer tent that we're talking about, this is what it was made from. It was made from the goat's hair, right? Mm. Yeah. So the women are the ones who made it. Mm. Who do the women represent? The priest. The priest. The Levite. Hallelujah. Now do you see the picture? <laughs> you still can't see the picture. No one still can see the picture. Who made the ghost here? So who made the covering? Yes. So can you see the picture? What? What is it? No, there's no intercession going on there. I thought you saw, said you saw it. All right. So. <laughs> well, yes, you know, they they made the ghost here, so they made this. They made they made. 
we know for first and foremost, okay, we know that despite what it looked like, we know that Yah is all light and in him there is no darkness. Right. We know that, right? Scripture tells us that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so knowing that, we know that it can't speak to darkness. It can't speak to wickedness. Because this is the house of Elohim. So we know it can't speak to that, right? So what we're seeing is a picture of the priest making it look like wickedness. Can you see that? Because they make they're making that they're making the um the uh, goats hair they're making the covering but they're making it look like wickedness. Ultimately, who does this this man that Yah is building in this wilderness? Who does it depict? Israel. Who? Israel. Who? Yeshua. Yeshua. Absolutely. So Yeshua is the center of Scripture. It depicts Yahshua. Did not the priest make Yahshua look as though he was wicked yeah. to the people? Yeah. Can you see it? Can you see the picture now? This was a prophecy that that would happen even way back then. You know, it is depicting that the priest will make Yah's tabernacle look as if it was wicked. Even though it wasn't. It couldn't be. Because no part of Elohim can be wicked. But to those who were looking at it. It would appear so. And just as someone said. You know it was a depiction of the flesh. And I said yes. You know characteristically yes. You know. When they looked, they saw the flesh and it appeared wicked. When Yahshua came in the flesh, the things that he was doing in the flesh appeared wicked to those onlookers. Because they didn't understand. So the priest pronounced him unclean, pronounced him wicked, and destroyed him. And this was just simply a depiction of that even way back when. But it's also a depiction of how you and I in being the tabernacle of Elohim will be, will be seen from the rest of Israel and the world at large. If we actually become the tabernacles of Elohim Israel will see us as wicked. Yeah. And the world at large will see us as wicked. Mm -hmm. Even though we'll be the most righteous. Oh, yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. You know, so all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goats here. Why do you, this is why this is here. Why do you think we needed to know this? It didn't tell us who made nothing else. <laughs> Did it? No. It didn't tell us who made anything else, but it tells us who made the ghost hair. <laughs> this is not by happenstance. 
Because without this detail, you couldn't figure it out. You wouldn't know. The picture would be in vain. But it isn't because this was included. Mm. We know who made who made the um, the ghost hair. It was the women, and we know the women depicts the priest. And so we see the priest making a covering that looks wicked. And this is what covers the righteousness of Elohim's tabernacle. Because under it was the fine linen, which represents the righteousness of Elohim. You know, so I pray that you can see that. Exodus 40, verse 3 goes on to say, And thou shalt put therein the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with the veil. And then Exodus 40, 20 says, And he took and put the testimony into the ark and set the staves on the ark and put the mercy seat above on the ark. Now, I just want you to know that this is, you know, Kappa, this um, Kappa Ref, you know, is translated as mercy seat. You know, everywhere you see mercy seat is capital ref. It's number 3727. It speaks to a lid or a cover. It doesn't actually mean mercy. Hmm. It just simply means a lid or a cover. Hmm. That's literally what it means. Nevertheless, the KJV always translated as mercy seat. Hmm. But I just want you to know what it is. In fact, what it is, it is copper ref, you know, and it just speaks to a cover, you know. Now, the mercy seat that is this covering, the covering that Yah is, is actually a declaration of Elohim that he covers those who carry out his commandments. Because that's all the ark was. It was a carrier of his covenant. It was a carrier of his commands that was put in, into his covenant. You know, it was the terms and conditions of his covenant. And so this mercy seat sat upon the vessel that carried Yahshua's commandments. And if that is you or I, then he will sit upon that vessel as well. Can you see that? You know, the Ark of the Covenant represents the mind. So, you know, it speaks to the mind that has the commandments of Elohim, that carries the commandments of Elohim, that carries them out, you know, and that's where he will make his throne. Even in the mind of the ones who carry out his commandments, his words, his sayings. His teachings, his instructions. Amen? And so that's the picture being entailed there. You know, verse 21 goes on to say, And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the covering and covered the ark of the testimony. So he set up this veil to cover the ark of the testimony. You know, now, Scripture teaches us that this veil speaks to flesh. Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Yahshua, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Mm. So hereby we learn that the veil speaks to his flesh. 
you know, and so we have this veil that blocks us from the presence of Elohim. In other words, our flesh. We had this this flesh that blocked us from the presence of Elohim. You know, and so still today, many people still have that flesh that blocks them from the presence of Elohim. Say la. So, it's the flesh which keeps us out of the holy of holies. Amen? So, we don't want that to be a part of our story. Exodus 40, verse 4 goes on to say, And thou shalt bring in the table and set it in order, the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and light the lamps thereof. You know, Exodus 40, 22 says, And he put the table in the tent of the congregation upon the side of the tabernacle northward without the veil. So he put the table in the tent of the congregation. The table speaks to the heart. You know, now it's put upon the side of the tabernacle northward. Northward is Zaphon, number 6828 in the Hebrew. Uh, and it speaks to that which is hidden or dark. So here it is. Your heart is in, is in darkness. Can you see that? The table in the tent of the congregation is in the darkness. You know, no wonder Yah says, you know, the heart is utterly wicked. Who can know it? Because it's hidden. It's in darkness. You know, now, that which is put upon it will also be hidden or in darkness. Well, what do you put on it? What is this table for? Exodus 40 verse 23 tells us it says and he set the bread in order upon it before Yahuwah as Yahuwah had commanded Moshe now what does bread represent teachers and instructions so can you see that this is simply a picture of the heart that has the teachings and instructions of Elohim upon it can you see that so if you, you had a heart, you have a picture of, the, of someone's heart with the teachings and instructions of Elohim upon their heart. But it's in darkness. Right? You know, and so that's important to understand. Exodus 40 verse 4 speaks to this. It says, And thou shalt bring in the table and set it in order, the things that are to be set in order upon it, and thou shalt bring in the candlestick. And light the lamps thereof. Without this candlestick being lit, the bread and the heart will remain in darkness. Can you see that? Exodus 40, 24 and 25 speaks to the candlestick. It says, and he put the candlestick in the tent of the congregation over against the table on the side of the tabernacle southward. 
Now, what does Safra speak to? The light, the most light. Software is the direction that gets the most light. And he lighted the lamps before Yahuwah as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. So now you have this light of Yahuwah within his tabernacle. Now this light it's going to make its way over to that darkness and it's going to lighten or enlighten that darkness. Can you see that? You know, and so this is so we don't remain in ignorance. But if you don't put the bread on the table, then the light does no good. As far as enlightening the heart. You have to put on the, on the table of showbread. What y'all instructed to be put on there. And then that way we get. Understanding. We get light. We get wisdom. We get understanding. We get knowledge of his teachings and instructions. I.e. the bread that's put on the table of the heart. I think that picture pretty easy to see. Mm -hmm. You know. So hereby we learn that after we receive the teachers and instructions upon our hearts, that we must then use the light of the menorah to understand it. That is the light that comes from his assemblies. That is the light that comes from the Ruach that's over his assemblies. The Ruach Kadesh that's over his particular, uh, whatever particular assembly you're at. You know, this is what's to illuminate the bread, i.e. his teachings and instructions that's on your heart. Exodus 40, verses 5 and 6, And thou shalt set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony, and put the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. And... The application of this is found in verse 26 and 27 of Exodus 40. It says, And he put the golden altar in the tent of the congregation before the veil, and he put sweet incense thereon, as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. You know, and so the altar of gold, you know, speaks to our place of prayer. You know, and we're set this before the door of the tabernacle, uh, which is uh, it was right before the Holy of Holies. And then we have verse 5 speaking about putting the hanging of the door to the tabernacle. And the application of this is in verse 28 of Exodus 40. It says, he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. Take note that the entrance into the holy place was protected by a hanging or a door. You know, so you couldn't just walk right into the holy place and then be in the presence of the, the, um, the table of showbread and the manure and the golden altar. And since even as no one can just walk into your heart. You know, even as no one can just, you know, 
come and see everything you understand and see what level of wisdom and knowledge you have. This is no one can just come and, you know, see, look into you and see, you know, what you've been praying about. And then, and then this, this door, this hanging that was put at the door of the tabernacle was actually guarded. You know, uh, it was, they kept it guarded so no one would just walk in and be killed. So, take note that the entrance is protected. You know, even as, you know, what's within us is protected. Mm -hmm. Exodus 40 verse 6 goes on to say, Thou shalt set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation. Now we're talking about another door. We're talking about the, um, the gate to get into well like maybe it's the same the same door but it's further out because we're working we're starting from within from the holy of holies and we're making our, our way out you know so we're making our way out um of the holy of holies and out of the, the holy place so now we're finally out you know and so he says set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle so this is the door, the same door um, to the tabernacle, to the holy place, putting the altar in front of it. Verse 29 is the application thereof. It says, and he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as Yahuwah commanded Moshe. And the instructions concerning this burnt offering was given in Exodus 29, 38 through 42. My next reader, please. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, and the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of in him of beaten oil and the fourth part of an hin of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at even and shalt do thereto according to the meat offering of the morning and according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savior in offering made by fire unto Yahuwah. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahuwah, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, this is the off the um, brazen altar is where the burnt offering was offered, the continual burnt offering every morning and every evening. You know, now uh, Psalm sixty six thirteen speaks to to this. It says, you know. Um, it being in front of the door, it says, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. You know, so it's recognizing I can't, I can't get in there without these burnt offerings. I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. And so these burnt offerings, they depict your dedication or your devotion to Yah. You know, and this is why the, the animal, you know, which speaks to one's devotions is put upon the altar. 
and it was the burn all day long. And the evening um, sacrifice was the burn all night long. And so what this is a picture of is a picture of one who has their flesh devoted to Yah all day long and all night long. Amen. You know, and so it's a beautiful picture of that. Now, Exodus 40, verse 7 goes on to say, And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shall put water therein. Okay, so now we're putting the brazen laver in between the altar and the Holy of Holies, or the tabernacle of Elohim. Now, the application of this is found in Exodus 40, verse 30. It says, And he set the labor between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water there to wash with all. And so, hereby, the brazen labor, we see that it contained water. And that water was for washing. And Ephesians 5, 26 teaches us what that water represents. It says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of water by the word. Mm -hmm. And so this water depicts the word of Elohim. You know, the word of Elohim that keeps us clean. Okay? So, you know, um, what word of Elohim keeps us clean? Can you think of any? Yeah. Torah is big. What word of, of uh, what word of Torah Keeps us clean. Okay. Absolutely. The food laws, they keep us clean. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yeah. They keep us clean by teaching us what will call us, cause us to become defiled, and they keep us clean by, call, that, by teaching us what will cause us to remain clean. Mm -hmm. You know, and we have a second witness, you know, to this in Yochanan 15.3. It says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so we also see we can be made clean through the word of Yahshua. Now, Exodus 40, 31 and 32 speaks to the brazen labor as well, you know, the application of it. You know, it says, And Moshe and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. You know, and so hereby we learn that the brazen labor is for washing the hands and, and, and the feet. That is, it's the washing the works and the walk. Yes. You know, and verse 32 says, when they went into the tent of the congregation and when they came near unto the altar, they washed as Yahuwah commanded. So whenever they, had, they came near it, they had to wash. So in other words, they could not walk past it without washing. Mm -hmm. Can you see that? So what the picture that's being painted here is you have to have, you have to alter, I mean, offer your, your uh, burnt offering upon the altar of sacrifice. So when you come in to, through the door, when you come into the gates, you know, you're, you're in Yah's court, you know, and the first thing, first furniture, set of furniture, piece of furniture you're going to run into is the brazen, brazen uh, altar. You're going to have to put your flesh upon Yah's holy fire. You're going to have to let him consume your flesh 
That is, you're going to have to devote yourself to him all day and all night. Then you're going to have to go to the brazen labor. And the brazen labor, the interesting thing about the brazen labor is it was made of mirrors. So the brazen labor, when you come to the brazen labor, you're to check yourself out. And if you see any works that's not clean or your walk not clean, you use the water of the word to wash them clean. You must do this before you move forward. After you do this, then you can go forward into the holy place. If you're allowed, if you're a priest. You know, and so that's very important because some people just try to walk right in. You know, and they get themselves in a lot of trouble. You know, um, people don't fell dead for that. People don't been struck with leprosy for that. Mm -hmm. You have to give your burnt offering, and you have to wash before you move forward. And you have to be a Levite, and more than a Levite, you have to be a priest. So you have to be a a Levite, that is, you have to be attached to Yah and attached to his people. And even more so, you have to be a priest of Yah. That is a covering to his people. All right. Um, Exodus 40, verse 8 says, And thou shalt set up the court roundabout and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And so this is the last part of the tabernacle. This is the court that goes around it. The, what, we, what we would call a fence that goes around it. And then you're to hang up the hanging at the court gate. This would actually make up the gate. This would make up the door that enters in, into the court. You know, and so the application is seen in verse 33 of Exodus 40. It says, and he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate so Moshe finished the work. Hmm. So, if we do likewise, we'll have a tabernacle of Elohim within us. You know, and we can finish the work too. What happens next? Hmm. Verses 34 through 38, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. And Moshe was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from um, over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahuwah was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night. In the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now this is the way it is for us who have tabernacles within us. You know, if the cloud is upon us, then we're to stay still. Amen? So what does this cloud represent? Psalms 105.39 Teaches us that it's a covering. It says he spread a cloud for a covering. 
and the fire to give light in the night. So the cloud is for the covering, the fire at night is to give light in the night. Mm -hmm. You know, now this covering, you know, we need this. If we don't have the covering of Elohim, where to stay put? Can you see that? You know, Hebrews 12.1 teaches us that this cob, this covering, speaks to Yah's witnesses. It says, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the second witness is found in Isaiah 60 verse 8 which speaks to the followers of Yahshua. It says, um, or those who would follow Yahshua. It says, who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? You know, so a cloud can just speak to a multitude of witnesses. You know, and so this is what's being depicted by this cloud. You know, so as long as the witnesses testify to what you're doing, you're to keep doing it. But when you look up and you have no witnesses testifying to what you're doing, it's time for you to keep moving. Until you come to the place where the witnesses are testifying to what you're doing again. And then you stay put. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. And so you move by cloud by day, but pillar fire by night. And the fire simply speaks to the New Testament um, scriptures, if you would. You know, so the, the cloud of witnesses you know, more so speaks to the Old Testament um, uh, saints and what they left for us. The witnesses of the Old Covenant speak to our cloud, but those of the New Covenant speak to our fire. And the reason being is because it was nighttime when all the acts of the apostles took place. Mm. When the followers of Yahshua, after Yahshua left, it was nighttime. Mm. And so the word that we have from them was received at nighttime. Mm. How do we know this? Because Yahshua taught us, he said, I must work the works of Elohim while it is yet day for the night cometh when no man can work. He said, as long as I am here, I am the light of the world. Well, when he left, he was no longer the light of the world. The only lights that were left was those he left for us, which was his, his, his disciples, his apostles. And so, you know, they are our pillar of fire through their testing trials, their fiery trials. We learn how to understand what we're going through. Mm. It enlightens us. You know, so 
we have our two witnesses to get us through until we come into New Jerusalem. Even as Israel of old went into the land of Canaan. You know, so I pray that everyone can see the journey. They can see the way of Yahuwah. Well, that's all I have for you today. Pray it was a blessing.